Welcome to another episode of Group Therapy, uh, where each week a group of our regulars from the Underground Bunker, we get together and we talk about the news of the week and we just have fun. And uh, the whole gang's here today. We got Lynette Observer Wagoner from the wilds of Ohio. How are you, Lynette? Pretty good. I almost didn't make it because yesterday I choked on a piece of chicken bacon and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> well, we're glad so, you survived. <laughs> welcome to my life. Chicken bacon? Yes. That's not a real thing. It is a real thing. Hmm, and, I'll be and, the judge of that. I'll send the, you some. <laughs> and that is Andrea I. Betty Garner, who's over in England. Hello. Hello. We're glad to have you back, Andrea. Thank you. Uh, up in Canada, we've got Bill Jones. Uh, not in Canada right now. I'm in Florida. Oh. Yeah, meeting some old friends. I saw the thatched boat photograph you sent to us. Oh, Is that what oh they the call little uh, That's tiki. Very British yeah. yeah, tiki boat. Yeah. And in New England... The ever, ever enigmatic Pan. How are you, Pan? Being enigmatic. Oh, Hi, Pan. <laughs> well, um, we've had some fun stuff this week. I think, you know, uh, with the Danny Madison retrial about to happen, uh, it's been a little bit of more of a silly week, uh, which I, I'm pleased to have because I got lots to do. But uh, one thing that I've been curious about uh, from the first trial was uh, the biggest one of the biggest disasters the prosecution had was they tried to put a Scientologist on the stand, which was which was a bad miscalculation. This guy Sean Fabos ended up just really becoming a a problem. Uh, and we've been writing about him because he's the son of some very active wealthy donors, Stephen Peggy Fabos, and they call themselves the Fabos Factor, or Scientology does, because they they help with so many different fundraisers around the country, lots of money, and then they had seemed to vanish. And I think all of us were wondering if the trial and their son being in it had something to do with that. Well, there's a, there's a convention coming next week at the Valley Org in San Fernando Valley, L.A., and apparently the Fabos Factor is back, and they are headliners along with two more big, big Scientology whales, Tom Cummins, wealthy electrical electrical uh, industry guy in Florida, and his business partner, Jim Bridgeforth. So I, I don't know. For me personally, I thought it was interesting to see the Fabos factor is still in favor with David Miscavige. Otherwise, they would not be on a flyer like that. And uh, I don't know. Are the rest of you as interested in these whales as I am? Well, the thing is struck me was that it was a two-day event uh fundraising events i've seen are usually only like an evening event three hours or an afternoon or something i, I can't imagine anybody going to a two-day fundraising event i know they call it a convention but i mean just you just know it's for fundraising just by looking at the uh, at the flyer the first the first day is 9 a.m to 10 p.m yeah very yeah. Oh my God! The idea of being thirteen hours stuck with these people hustling and hassling and twisting. Yeah. And, oh God! I don't think they're going to get as big a turnout as they are presuming. No, they, I think you're right. They're not exactly um, the Rolling Stones, are they? <laughs> well, <laughs> the way this they're built up to be something so special, but. Anyway, I just think that Scientology seems to revere the kind of Cro-Magnon man type. Like, I was looking at the flyer with much glee, as you know I do when it comes to these flyers. Look how masculine Tom Cummins is on the flyer with his wide manly shoulder pads and a chin you could crack walnuts on, couldn't you? I mean, that is a chin um, of some solidity. And you just know he kind of dribbles testosterone and wrangles <laughs> bull elephants in his free time. And, and look, there's a little coy glimpse of his limited edition clear bracelet. Did you see that? I think that was a, a deliberate posture. Um, but it's a special one because he is such a special Scientologist from melted down Roman artifacts. <laughs> And the shells of kind of critically endangered sea turtles. But I would sit on a hard seat for 13 hours to catch some of that. 
Ultimate chill for Scientology. He happily, kind of coming and going, he happily hands over millions of his own dosh and he happily in free time encouraging others to hand over their dosh. I mean, he really is as spectacular at what he does. And whatever happened to Jim Mather? Jim Mather was right in there as well a while back and uh, in the same industry, same same vibe that uh, Cummins is. Uh, he doesn't have the I, Fables factor. No, it's true. <laughs> what were you going to say, Pam? Um, I was going to say that Cummins is working on a percentage as well. I oh, bet he has an angle. Is. They all do. Any yep. any of these guys that go in there, they'll get uh, like an FSM commission, field staff member commission on this stuff. I don't know whether it's 10% or 15%. Yeah, but I mean, Cummins personally has donated like $30 million or something. I mean, even yeah. if he's getting a percentage on other people, I can't, I don't know. Could it possibly equal anything like that i don't know i don't know nowhere no, near it no. but yeah. then no. think no. about think about his day job tony his his day job is getting a percentage of the money that utilities charge for electricity i mean he's just yeah. a middleman right he doesn't actually offer anything oh just remembering uh, uh, that that one oh, video man. of him where he he was essentially bullying people into um was he trying to give get him to give money or whatever? It was him sitting in his home office. Oh, that's he right. Was, he was just yeah. like, um, yeah. It's like, wasn't the he, line he said, Lynette, in that video? Didn't he say something like, "They're gonna get this money anyway"? Yes, yes, that is exactly it. And he, um, he's like a really malevolent lurch <laughs> from the Adams family. <laughs> with a mighty that's chin wh that's what he well lurch had one too and a flat head if i recall a flattish head anyway um that's who cummins reminds me of and um he doesn't i guess he doesn't so much encourage people to give money is he tone 40s them into giving money and he backs that up with his height because he is a tall guy and it's just he's just He's like the worst of Scientology to me. Well, let's let's give him let's give him the credit he's due. He did marry a woman with just really great fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, correct. I, I uh, wonder. I wonder if Mr. Cohen saw her. What would happen? <laughs> the universe would implode. Yeah, you no, know, it might implode. That's a good point. Well, look, I mean, that is a very good question about Mathers. I mean, this is what happens with these whales is they kind of come and go. And yeah. uh, Jim Mathers was very much on the scene a lot for several years. But you're right. I haven't seen him in anything lately. There is a new Impact magazine out there, and I'm dying to get a copy. If somebody could please uh, get me a copy of the latest, because that's where we'll find out who's donated in the last year. Then, you know, maybe Jim Mathers is there. But the last thing I remember Mathers doing was in 2020, he was basically making fun of people wearing masks in the pandemic. That's the last yeah. thing I remember him doing. So, uh, but that is a good question, Phil. What happens to these whales? Why do they drop off? Why do they come back? And it'd be nice if one of them came out and kind of explained that whole process to us someday. Well, I'm looking at Mathers' Facebook page right now. Um, his public one, and he hasn't post anything, posted anything since uh, March 11th, 2022, and it's a video, and it looks like he has a porn stash now, oh, or gosh. did at the time of the video. Oh, wow. It's, um, yeah. Well, COVID might have taken care of him. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now. We now. shouldn't be laughing at that. I know, I know. <laughs> Well, I mean, that it is an interesting moment um, where I feel like they're trying to give the impression, well, with this particular convention, this two-day, like you said, very unusual. It's two days. It's at the Valley. Hey, I'll be in L.A. Maybe I might have time to go buy and count, <laughs> count cars. But uh, anyway, uh, it's two days. It's at the Valley. And they are presenting it kind of like, okay, this is the first big in-person convention we've had in four years. They're saying that. So, oh, so yeah, this is, yeah. 
Okay, this is kind of like, yeah. okay, this is the return. This is we're back now. Yeah. Uh so that'll be really interesting to see what kind of turnout they have. Um and but they're they're having this right at the Valley Org, aren't they? Yeah, the Valley Org. But how big a space is that? I they Valley can't Org that is big. The Valley they, Org is big. They could have a lot of people in there. My memory is uh, you know, there was a photographer, there was a very good professional photographer who on his spare time was taking some pictures for us outside that org and that was one thing he pointed out was they have a very big always empty parking lot so they they have capacity if they wanted to put people well, in i'm there. i'm thinking about how big their hall is like or their auditorium uh and how many people they can seat there i think it's I, big i think we've seen images from inside okay. i think we have yeah, yeah. Did, didn't they do a big right. star wars party there one time with nancy and it was mm. kind of pretty, oh, right pretty big so and then that'll be interesting yeah. to see if nancy shows up i know she's been on some flyers again recently. So I don't know. It could be an interesting moment for Scientology. Um, I think they'll be disappointed. Well, they won't show it. <laughs> no. I mean, if, if they are disappointed, they won't get let on, right? Right. wonder if they'll send Mather, or Mathers uh, Cummins out to drag people out of their homes. By their it, seems, teeth. it seems like he's uh, he'd, he'd be suited for that sort of work. Well, another, like I said, it was a week of strange stories. And another strange story was that um, uh, some new things have been happening in the Yanti Michael Green situation. And the reason why I keep an eye on I know that the lawsuit he's involved in is not specifically related to Scientology. But in the lawsuit, he's being sued because he allegedly raped a woman he had been hired as a private investigator to follow. And he's a retired New York Police Department detective. But in the course of that lawsuit, his text, his phone text got taken down from the, cl the cloud, and it revealed that he had been working for the Church of Scientology, specifically stalking Leah Remini and Jennifer Lopez when, when Leah was in town filming a movie. And also that he had been assigned to investigate me at some point. So for that reason, I've been keeping an eye on this guy because, you know, he's just sort of this classic thug that Scientology hires. And um, he's really even getting his butt kicked in court because I, I've said this. I've actually been out to court in Long Island to watch this guy. I have never. And I look, I don't want to say I have all that much court experience, but, you know, I've reported from court for, for some years. I have never seen anybody just get on a witness stand and just lie so obviously lie after lie after lie. And, and, and I was going to say he gets away with it, but you know, he really didn't. He was, he was found guilty of criminal and civil contempt for trying to hide some footage of a video from the, from the court. And now they're trying to get garnish his wages. I mean, he's, they're kind of certain, you know, closing in on this guy and his latest move, as they're they're trying to really, you know, sort of put some hurt on him, his latest move is he wants he wants the court to haul me, Jeffrey Augustine, and Karen De La Carrier in for depositions. And he doesn't like the fact that Jeff and I have written about him. That's basically all he's got against us. But he made this bizarre claim that Karen had come to court and taken a picture of him illegally. And this is so strange because I don't know what picture he's talking about. And also, Karen hasn't been to New York since the 90s. So just some really <laughs> strange accusations. And uh, I, our, my attorney says we have nothing to worry about. But I just I just thought about, you know, if, if any of you had any thoughts about what I should be doing to prepare myself to be deposed by Yanti Michael Green. <laughs> what's he, he yeah. going to ask you? <laughs> Well, he claims that he claims that I'm on the payroll for this couple that's suing him, which and is completely untrue. Under, and you're under oath and you say no. Yeah, and, I then know. and then he's got to prove it the opposite, which he can't do. And it's uh, game over. I mean, I thought the thing that really demonstrated his complete uh, ridiculousness was that he attempted to represent his company himself to be pro se for a company. <laughs> he didn't even know that you can't do that. Right, and he's well, trying to avoid the three hundred thousand uh, because of the contempt. If I were you, Tony, I'd practice keeping a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> really? 
Yeah, and and Jeffrey had a uh, he. We were talking about it, and and he had a really good point. You know, in that the first story I wrote about this for I wrote for Daily Beast about these texts showing that he was following Jennifer Lopez, and one of the things he said to his friend, another PI, when he was kind of filling in his friend, yeah, we're following uh, 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 Leah Remini. Church Scientology wants to keep an eye on her, and his friend kind of asked him why, and Yanti on his phone texted i guess they want to kill her or something oh is that where that one came from i remember yeah that. and hmm. so here's a hired private investigator who's a former cop telling his friend that it's his impression they're watching her for a client who's preparing to kill her and and jeffrey's point to me he was like saying as a former cop how can he not report that if he actually thinks that? So I thought that was a good point. I mean, the guy's just, I, 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 I keep thinking that at some point the New York police department's got to say something about this guy, but I, I guess they never will. Well, Johnny, that's you know, what I oh. wanted to say. Um, that um, You've missed me calling you Pip. I know you have because I've been away for two weeks. I know you've missed me. I have missed. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Two things. The, the first thing, yes, I'm glad that he's starting to um, suffer some consequences for his uh, his lying. And it's kind of a compulsive thing, isn't it? Uh, you know, like compulsive liars, very often their lies are so ridiculous and so easily uncovered. Um, and yet they still do it. But yes, that's great. But where are the consequences for allegedly uh, raping a semi-unconscious woman. I want to know why the DA is not kicking down the door because it's got to be a home run. I mean, there's so much evidence that he did that. Anyway, I know I keep bringing that up. I just cannot get over how this is just not going any further. I just can't. But the other thing I wanted to say is that because he's so comfortable with lying, don't you think that defense attorneys who had dealings with him during his time at the NYPD would be wanting to check his historic police case files for anomalies and, you know, so-called alternative facts? That's because, a great point. That's a great yeah. idea. And they should be. Yes. He's clearly a born liar, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's an excellent point. Everybody who's had a client in jail based on testimony from Yanti Green should be going back to court with that. Yep. Wow. I think so. Yeah, again, just for those who maybe haven't been following along, we're talking about a former New York Police Department detective who a an LAPD expert who viewed the footage said, yes, this man videotaped himself raping a semi-conscious woman. And he's going into court saying that she raped him him and also there are people on the record under sworn testimony who, who said that he told them yeah she didn't know i had sex with her i mean they can bring in the video they can bring in those witnesses what is the da waiting for yeah yeah Incredible. it makes me angry it did seem uh, the first thing when it jumped out at me when i heard that you and karen and jeff were uh named in this that you know the first thing that pops in my mind is scientology but it doesn't sound like it's connected at all and and also if scientology had his ear they're not going to send him in without an attorney uh right or no, unless, I don't... yeah unless they thought that uh nobody would be that dumb to go into court without an attorney because they're they, in their mind you take a dozen attorneys with you if you go well let court. me just let me just say that if this judge did the an absolutely insane thing and said okay here's your subpoenas go ahead and serve those people and yanti green then got to serve me and jeffrey and karen and haul us in for depositions don't you think that all of a sudden at the courthouse or wherever the depositions are set up suddenly Yanti Green would have Burt Dykesler representing him, ready to yeah. do the questioning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. They're, Scientology would love to get their hand on that. Oh, yeah. 
But I, I don't think Judge Richard Liano is going to buy any of that. I, mean, I don't think so either. I don't yeah. think it's too crazy. He's quite sassy though, isn't he, the judge? He's funny. He was funny. I I you know, I didn't like the, I don't I don't think any of us were real thrilled that he hadn't read anything. It was like, oh, you know, we were kind of hoping for a decision that day. And he's like, Well, I haven't read anything. I'll get to it. And so we're like, uh. Oh. But other than that, I liked him. He was he was clever. It was fun. Good. That's good news. So like I said, it's been a weird week. Uh, the other the other sort of story that came out of nowhere, and I know readers really, really enjoyed it, is we got another LRH 2.0 update. Don't you guys all love Lafayette, Ronald Hubbard 2.0? Yeah, no question. He's my favorite. He's your what? Yeah, so if, if he gets out of... Idiot. No. <laughs> well, my Well, my question is, can we still say unindicted when referring to L. Ron Hubbard? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, this L. Ron Hubbard has been indicted, and, and that's the thing I noticed as I was going through his court record recently, was he keeps getting arrested and in, in, in charged, and the latest was just this last month, yet another felony assault. So something's happening in jail there in Anderson County, Tennessee, and this guy's bond is now up to more than half a million dollars. But he's telling his followers he's about to get out of jail. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of interesting. So that was the update. He's got new charges. He's got a trial in August, but he's telling his followers he's about to get out of jail, and he's starting a new church, the Church of Parascientology, <laughs> or COPS, C-O-P-S. <laughs> Maybe Auntie Michael Green is defending him. <laughs> hey. Sorry, big stories. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I love the fact that you've got your hands on those, uh, Tony, the kind of blue on the blueprint of the new cops um cult. <laughs> um and I I am the joy that you brought us. It was like birthday, Easter and Christmas rolled into one. Um, I'm hoping that you're going to get your hands on some more of these um, these nuggets that he's releasing to his followers and, and that, that we're going to see some of the um, uh, some of his plans for what he, he has for his followers. There's two followers. I think they're Jim and somebody else. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I thought, I thought uh, mandatory eyebrow tattoos of course, um, oh. prison tattoo between his eyebrows and s faded. You know, it's going to be really faded with too much sun and, and um, just look like a biro mark uh, between the eyebrows. Then compulsory revenge defecation, um, a sex <laughs> swing in the canteen, skipping, um, snuggle time, semi-erotic topiary, uh, <laughs> counting and dance practice. What do you what do you think? Semi-erotic topiary. Well, oh, I love that. Yeah, I could just see Justin doing that. You know, but amazingly, yeah. there are people who just do think he's the returned L. Ron Hubbard. And I, I, I see in the free zone some there are still some people talking about how his processes are really well, they work really well. This has got to be Ron, you know. The, I don't well, know. They probably work as well as Scientology's processes. You you have to admit, heroin, fentanyl. I mean, the guy's got uh, almost as much dope as LRH1 used, you know? <laughs> pickled. I love him. As I say, my favorite idiot, Vic Tipness. Vic, just the tip tipness. We love him, don't we? <laughs> no. He often messages me and says you know I, I love him I miss him um, <laughs> and I try she does uh, I know she'd rather I not say that but we particularly love him and his memes we love his memes don't we they're quite meaningful and touching um, and inspirational so he's probably my favorite idiot all then right, well, Justin, I, then Grant thank you, thank you for that Gardner. suggestion uh, I should probably go gather some new Vic Tipness memes for our, re yes. <laughs> oh, our yeah. readers that don't uh, know what i'm talking about uh these are a couple of motivational speaker type wealthy scientologists grant cardone and vic tipness and uh yeah their whole their whole thing is based on kind of how uh cool and and cooler than you they are and uh yeah there's something else 
Oh, Vic is like a budget Grant Cardone. <laughs> Don't say that. You know, he, he gets angry at me sometimes. But you could just watch Miami Vice for a while if you really miss him that much. <laughs> True. Yeah, he doesn't wear socks. Yeah. He's, he's crooked and tubs. Okay, so here's <laughs> one sample one. He's pointing at you the in the camera and he says, you need balls to make it as an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess that lets me out. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's the one there's the one where he's sitting on his car and the and the message is Success is like being pregnant. Everyone says congratulations, but nobody knows or understands how many times you were fucked. He just sees himself as, he's just a desperate man, desperate to attract this sort of uh, testosterone. Like, but he's just such a Grant Codone. Yeah. He's it's kind slightly of, pathetic. Kind of an Andrew Tate wannabe too, isn't he? Oh, oh yes, boy. he is. Yeah, he he's kind of like one and a half X. How did how did Andrew, how, did, <laughs> how did Andrew Tate escape Scientology? That's the real question, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he'd fit right in, wouldn't he? Well, he's going to have to open a criminal now. Uh, okay, so uh, the next story now, I told you is a week of weird stories. The next thing was out of nowhere. Uh, this uh, enterprising commercial real estate journalist, uh, Jack Whithouse, I think was his name. He um, he figured out that a converted church on Sunset Boulevard was bought by a Scientology property front for thirteen and a half million dollars just very recently. And it's really interesting because it's only about two and a half blocks from Pac Bay, Pacific Area Command. Uh, and let me just make a note here. I call it Big Blue. A lot of people call it Big Blue. I heard from a couple of Scientologists who wanted me to know they don't call it Big Blue in Scientology. They call it Pac or Pac Bay. Pac I yeah. understand that. I got it. But for so many of us, particularly those of us who grew up in LA, it's Big Blue. It's the old uh, Cedars of Lebanon Hospital and then the other buildings around it, like American St. Hill Organization, Advanced uh, Organization of LA, AOLA, and it's on L. Ron Hubbard Road or L. Ron Hubbard Way, uh, and it's across. It's between Sunset and and Fountain. You know what I'm talking about? The Big Blue Complex, and just two and a half blocks down the street on Sunset, down west down Sunset, there was this church that had been built in 1925, and it was failing. It was derelict, and in 2014, it was sold for 3.7 million to a developer who who made, turned it into kind of an art place you know for creative types to have uh offices and stuff and for art shows and things and it called itself big art church for a little while i don't think it was still going um but really nice venue the the big um issue preservation has had was that this guy took out the stained glass windows and he really shouldn't have but other than that it's a it's a really nice venue you you saw the pictures inside so what the heck does David Miscavige want with this thing? Just like I said, two and a half blocks from Big Blue, there's already an ideal org at the Pack Bay. So it's it's not for an ideal org. It has already got advanced LA, advanced organization. And then down the street, they've already got Scientology Media Productions with the, with the studios for making videos. So what in the heck, Andrea, what in the heck do you think He's doing buying this former church. It's clear um, to me. Uh, he plans Miscavige plans to use it to give alms to the poor and and wash their feet <laughs> once a year, like the Pope does. Or I don't know how many times the Pope does oh. it. Uh, go on, Pip. To me, the interesting thing that they bought a church building was just outside of Toronto. Uh, Toronto Scientology. Uh, took over they renting though they didn't buy it but the chalmers presbyterian church the former chalmers presbyterian church um they set up offices in there for some reason and uh basically they're saying to conduct online services and other programs and uh i'm not sure what that means but it seemed strange that they would rent uh, uh an empty church building an actual church building i went by there one day and there were about a half a dozen cars out 
side on the parking lot and lights on inside. So it just seemed really strange that they would move into an actual church building uh, away from the org, uh, the Toronto org. How recent is that, Phil? That was last August. Oh, wow. So it's really recent. Maybe they're just trying to give themselves a churchy look, a bit like... Yeah, but maybe not. I don't think so. It seemed almost like a secretive thing that they were doing there. There was no, Uh nothing showing that it was Scientology outside, no signs. Um, They weren't promoting it. It it was sort of like a hidden thing. I I don't know. I don't know if it's connected to the one in LA or not, or in in any kind of plan, but it just struck me that uh, it was odd that they would be taking over actual church buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's very strange that, uh, I mean, I understand the people are saying, well, it looks like a church. Maybe that'll help them out, but I don't know. It's, it's, it seems odd. Pan, what do you think? They've taken such a hammering in public relations in, in Los Angeles with the mayoral race and with the Danny Masterson thing. I think it's gotta be some kind of front PR effort. Yeah, you know, I saw somebody else suggest that, too. I think that's a really smart uh, idea that this has something to do with the terrible PR they've been dealing with. And remember, in in Clearwater, they've got those sort of fake front operations for things like CCHR. I wonder if maybe it's time they're going to do that in L.A., too. Potemkin Village. Here we go again. Right. It'll be like it'll be like a foundation for a drug free world place or something i don't know they might already have they might already have that in la i don't know like another another layer of religious cloaking yeah look it's an actual church building right it looks great inside too looks like a church you know really cool yeah yes it does those those lovely high um high ceilings does anyone think that they bought it (laughs) i don't know i come out with such crap uh so miscavige can like dress as a medieval knight and gallop in slow-mo down <laughs> fountain avenue on on the white scientology stallion remember that fabio fabio stride that poor horse on the ias flyers but he, they would need to source a white shetland pony from miscavige and i don't think come in white <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth they need a small <laughs> pony. or a saint bernard <laughs> oh now now uh speaking of which uh mr four foot 13 is going to be turning six foot i mean 63 <laughs> in just a couple of weeks we're going to have to have a special uh well we'll deal with that then that's coming up on april 30th right is when he's uh, anyway um yeah i don't know what dave is up to here very odd 13 and a half million dollars for this converted church just down the street from Big Blue, and uh, it may be a while before we find out what they're going to do with it. But that, uh, my again, my hats off to Jack who who, who figured out because it, you know it wasn't the easiest thing to figure out because the entity that had bought this place was called Building Management Services. Now Mike Rinder knew that that was the name of one of the property fronts, but uh, good good for Jack for checking into that and figuring out that this was actually Scientology buying it because I you know. Nobody might have noticed it until Dave did something with it, you know? The only organization on earth that feels the need to disguise its, to hide its purchase of an actual church building. Or oh, other yes. properties in, like in in Clearwater, all those properties they bought through parishioners. Yeah, but they keep screaming about how they're the, they're a church, we're a religion, we're a yeah. church, we're a religion, we're a church. Yeah. They don't want anybody to know they bought a church building. What? <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, speaking of church, uh, your proprietor went to church this week and uh, got some more training with Sonny Pereira uh, going up the bridge. And this week, Sonny took me through grade one. And uh, I decided that it was time that the, you know, rest of our folks that get free emails got a sense of this series because I really think Sonny's doing a great job and I've really learned some things about uh, Scientology and the the actual nuts and bolts of what it's like to go through all this. People like Phil know, but those of us that have never been don't, you know, it's really interesting to learn some of the actual questions that you're asked in uh, auditing 
and you know Sunny, you know uh, her observations about them. So this week we did grade one. Uh, Bill, did you have any specific? Uh, you usually have some specific observations about how that went. Well, the thing is, I never did the grades, so I actually never got grade one. So I don't have the ability to recognize the source of problems and make them vanish like you do. <laughs> <laughs> I skipped it. So uh, and went right into Dianetics and Clear and all that stuff after that. But uh, it was really fascinating to listen to and to hear it from an outside perspective. I've spent plenty of times in the chair getting audited for, you know, many thousands of hours, but to actually see it done, hear it done sort of from a, a, a an exterior viewpoint, external viewpoint, uh, it was really interesting to listen to. Um, and, and just to see how kind of ridiculous it really is, it, but it tends to, it's almost like it twists your brain into some of those convoluted brain teaser questions. Um, you have to sort of, the question gets asked and then some of them are, are just so convoluted. You kind of have to go, what, what did it, what did he ask? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I loved what Sonny said at one point and Mark pointed it out. She said, it's like gaslighting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was. I think we all did been Yeah. <gasps> of course it is, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. That was far more profound than anything in that I've ever seen in Scientology. Yeah. Well, that's fun for me. Is that you know Sunny's doing her best, and she knows there are other ex Scientologists out there that are going to pounce on her if she does. I mean, I, I, I for example, I've seen people. Say, oh well, Sonny's not using the latest. She's not talking about the latest of a golden age of tech, you know, times two or whatever, um, you know, whatever. But but she, so she's doing her best to try to present this as standardly as possible, as Scientologists say. And then I'm doing my best just to mess with it because I'm just like gobsmacked that you know a year and a half into Scientology, tens of thousands of dollars already, and I'm being asked like you know, uh, to talk about things that happened on the toilet, uh, which was in grade zero. Yeah. And then, you know, this time uh, talk about like professions and stuff. And just, I can see and looking some... at your knee. You have to look at your knee and That's look at the right. chair. That's right. He was jealous. Well, well, or, yeah. But, you know, for me... you getting, you were getting auditing, but it was uh, Sonny who had the big cognition. Well, that's what I was going to say was that I keep I keep bringing up these, you know, I keep asking her like, you know, is this really what happens? And just do people do this or that? And it's been fun for me that she's kind of reflecting on it in a new yeah. way. And yeah, Pam, what were you going to say? Well, I just loved it when you said my knee's jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but Tony, I did, I've had the same going on too. Uh, like you said, that Sonny is sort of reflecting on it. I, I get the same thing going on, you know, from all the auditing I had, and I'm seeing it sort of fresh like this, and and realizing some things that I just never would have uh, noticed or or realized being in the middle of it and having it actually done. I mean, what just more. Really... Go ahead, Andrew. What she's really portraying is just the tedium of it all, isn't? The tedium, I mean, but also, yeah, and you're also being whizzed through it at fast forward speed, aren't you? Whereas, in what you've done so far in the real world, that it takes months, if not what years, to reach this point where you've you. That's right. I mean, she months is, at least. Yeah. Right. We're just doing it yeah. very quickly, and and when you know, we'll just go do a uh, we'll we'll talk about a question in ten seconds that would normally take somebody two or three days. So. It's it's much faster, um, and the other thing was, I'm I'm always so tempted to crack a joke, and and I'm and I'm, what I'm learning is the more you do that, the more it costs you, and that's why Scientologists end up being so humorless because they can't afford yeah. to be you know be silly during these things. It just literally costs them money. Well, part of that too is that Hubbard said that you know jokers and degraders, uh, you know, are you know next to suppressive almost that it's it's frowned on to be a joker to integrate it you can joke around but you have to be very careful about joking around because you don't want to be labeled as a joker integrator frivolous frivolous j and d no j and d 
what's the other word? Uh, dilettante. You don't want to be dilettante. labeled a dilettante. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, you got to be too serious. You got to take it seriously. You're moving up the bridge. It's serious business. Saving the world. Saving but the world. As a never in, um, it's one thing to know about the what the objectives are. It's another thing to hear them in all their BS glory, so to speak. Right. I mean, it's like obviously they have the people who are doing this have reached a point where they um won't question i mean to me it's blindingly obvious that the questions are designed both to wear you down and also to convolute your mind like the weird phrasing in some of them yeah and um it's the if i went into it cold I mean, if I'd never heard of Scientology and I went into into that part of it cold, I would be like, you know what? You're trying to pull something on me. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. But they have to be prepared so carefully and for so for a long time before they're exposed to this. And hearing it, I can see why, because pretty much anybody who isn't like a a career seeker is just going to be say this is crap and i'm out of here but you're never going to learn how to connect to a chair like this subs (laughs) i rely i rely on gravity for that (laughs) (laughs) it's like the tenderizing beef isn't it with a hammer to make it make it more pliable and and soft and receptive I, i say to you guys uh, that each week we listen to sweet lovely sunny torture tony and i find that so funny at tony's sheer (laughs) anguished despair when that tiny tormentor tells him he's about to do more objective processes you can hear a full body Ugh. <laughs> right. Yeah, or when she says there's 20 more pages to go, it just cracks me up. Um, I wanted to make a point so interesting to me talking about uh, what makes the needle float. Um, it's obviously not our thoughts, reading our thoughts. Um, it, it has to do with all manner of things like Tony described. I found that so interesting. Uh, I wanted to add to that by saying... Sunny had mentioned that simply moving the toes is one of the best ways to get the needle to react. And that made me think about when I donate blood, the nurse tells me to do a series of movements and they're just called applied muscle tension. Uh, And they keep your blood pressure up while while they're draining my entire life-giving blood from my body. (laughs) And one of those movements is clenching and releasing my toes and just repeating that small bead up to the sight of the needle in my arm and I just thought uh, it kind of proves how moving one part of the body causes something to happen elsewhere in the body um yeah that's kind of what you were saying Tony that it's these tiny movements uh, and, and sometimes flo- that we're not even aware of yeah and for a floating needle I would bet that you get conditioned in auditing to hold perfectly still in order to get that needle to float. so Because if you're not moving and you get perfectly still, no breathing or very low breathing, um, I, I look back and I think I used to do that uh, for getting a floating needle. Interesting. You mean sort of almost sinking into a, a meditative? Yeah, yeah. So you're not moving because if, if you don't have any muscle twitches or anything like that, um, I it would not surprise me if that, gets conditioned into you as you do auditing because you want to get that needle to float so that you finish it so you don't have so you can move on closer to ot levels closer to that the the goal and not have to spend too much more money yeah the promised land by twisting toes oh my god yeah really or (laughs) non-twist untwisting of toes yes well andrea if you've enjoyed sunny torturing me you're really going to want to listen to the next episode because sunny is licking her chops at the prospect of putting me through the Joburg next. Oh, that's oh, right. oh, the agony. Well, just consider it payback for the uh, Prego Feshbach picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I can't wait. <laughs>
<laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> Tony, you can wait. <laughs> You'll see it's like self-flagellation. You're full going through this for the sake of the wanker. We do appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you. You're most welcome. <laughs> uh so switching gears. Um some years ago, I was contacted by a woman who had left Scientology and was talk- thinking about writing a book about it. And she just wanted a little, you know, advice about the market. And, and um, so, I mean, it's just tough because publishers kind of want you to be somebody famous to begin with. It's it's tough. But anyway, she went ahead, wrote her book, and, and then she came back and let me know it was ready to go. And uh, she, you know, gave me the... Uh, an excerpt to show everybody um and she's got a great title and a great cover for her book it's called the bad cadet and it's about oh, her brilliant. it's about her time growing up in scientology in the cadet org and then being in the sea org and it's really charming it's it's more a coming of age story than it is kind of an expose of scientology abuses and that's why I'm glad she gave us an excerpt so you get a kind of flavor of it. And um, I think she really wants to appeal to younger readers who are curious about what it's like to grow up in that organization. So, yeah, um, tell me what you all thought about that excerpt that we put out. I loved it. The thing that, oh, yeah, it was really good. Uh, the thing that struck me, too, is when she said that she was walking down L. Ron Hubbard Boulevard, was afraid to look at the signs for fear of seeing the OT3 data, and yet not questioning why it didn't harm the protesters. It's that double think that goes on in Scientology. It's so calm, you know. I I also thought that it was fascinating. Her name, Spellino. Spellino means epaulette in Italian. For somebody who's joining the Sea Org, she's got the perfect family name. Is that right? <laughs> I learned so much from you you know tony you said that she wanted to appeal more to a younger young adult or um market i was having a look and, and her book today is currently number one on amazon's new releases list in the teen and young adult family category isn't that amazing that's great i know i really handed it to her because she had let me read the book and i was i was trying to get through it i you know i've been getting ready for the trial i wasn't sure how we were going to do this. And then she just sent me that excerpt and said, why don't you just put this out? And I said, that's perfect. It gives people a flavor for it. It's, you know, you can see that the writing is charming. She's a good writer. She paints a, she paints a scene very well. And so I handed to her that she kind of has got, the, she's on the ball about the marketing and everything. So, yeah. And I just love that cover. What a great sense it gives about. Oh, that title was brilliant. I loved it. Bad the yeah, bad yeah. cadet. It was. I yeah. loved it. I love Mark's remake of it where he suggested she should have had David Miscavige on there as well. Which... On the five, the teeny tiny outline of it. There's a much smaller Sea Orger somewhere. <laughs> She's got a lovely sense of mischief and curiosity and rebellion yeah. in her, yeah. hasn't she? And uh, do you, can I just ask, do we think that the that was missing on the Lisa McPherson sign, not missing, but she couldn't see, do we think it was justice, justice for Lisa McPherson? Yeah, I I think so. I think it must be, don't you? Yeah. I I bought. Yep. I know lots of people at the bunker have bought the book uh, tonight, particularly on Kindle, and some are all right. Yeah, UTR is already several chapters in. Um, I can't wait after this to go and start reading it. But I just yeah. really was taken by her. It was yep. really interesting that she mentioned the signs about Lisa McPherson, and yet none of those Sea Org cadets or a lot of the people there didn't know who she was, who Lisa McPherson was. Right. So it kind of makes you wonder whether what signs are effective for protesting because, um, that was you effective. know. It, that was effective but, because now they're stuck with the word Lisa McPherson. Who is she? Yeah, they start asking, but it may or may not ever come up. You know, they're so protected and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Well, I thought it was brilliant. Um, Sorry, it's... darling, go on. It was a um, just a different a different tone to a lot of the Scientology, where yeah, it's Scientology is doom and gloom for anybody in it, especially like the poor kids in the cadet org and stuff like that. But to see that 
um, they couldn't squash her humanity. Right. And just to see that coming out and um, how they seem to have a little bit of trouble knowing how to deal with her. It was just, it's just refreshing. That's the word I was looking oh, for. Uh, she's a little rebel. Or she was a little rebel. She's just delightful. Uh, Lynette, yeah. I was just going to say, Pip was just talking about, you know, thinking carefully about the wording on on um, placards and signs. What will be the most hard hitting? Do you remember when one of the years we protested the um, IAS gala in St. Helen? England um, and I was trying to get and my mum had bought me uh, a stencil set of letters and I was so excited to use it and I wanted to really use it and I said I was coming up with these suggestions for what I would put on my banner and at one point you said Andrea you've got like literally 200 words on there do you think they're going to be able to read all those as they walk past and drive past and I was so disappointed I put so much effort into it and I ended up cutting like 96 words and leaving just something pithy. <laughs> but the whole time I was there, I was scrumbling under my breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was sensible advice. <laughs> and yet you cursed me for it. Thanks. <laughs> I would never but, do that because you're my best friend. But Phil, you ask a good question. That is, what kind of sign would be the most effective? I think Pan's right. Just, you know, the Lisa McPherson thing does have some impact. But I wonder if they can't look at Xenu, what is, I know that some of the, you know, like uh, Rick Ross and Steve Hassan talk about what effective thing is to ask a person, did L. Ron Hubbard, was L. Ron Hubbard ever wrong about anything? And just start get them thinking about that idea. Was really everything he did correct? I don't know. I don't know how you make a sign of that effectively does gets people to think along those yeah. lines or not. I it still might, think yeah. the call me sign is one of the strongest I've ever seen. Yeah, that was something that R two came up with, and he did a brilliant billboard. I, I mean, that thing uh, it did have some effect. I did get messages from a few people not a lot but some people that actually said that that was a, a trigger for them getting out uh not not a lot it was a couple of people but um so i guess it had some effect but uh, uh but still it was a, a brilliant line that uh, r2 came up with he yeah, is definitely he's a professional so he is he's superb yeah. at what he does very yeah. successful yeah. excellent well, uh, that was our crazy week of news here at the bunker. And like I said, we're getting ready for the trial, which will start on Monday. Um, Andrea, did you have some thoughts about the free zone this week? Yes, Tony, I did. Um, in my meanderings this week through the fever dream that is the free zone, I came across something that taught me uh, that we can all learn something new every day. So I have two quotes for you um, from the free zone. I wonder if they're from the same free zone. Okay, quote, <laughs> LRH <laughs> LRH is a high volume Thetan. My personal opinion was that he was probably controlling two bodies at once, Cecil Rhodes and Mark Twain. The similarities between Twain and Hubbard are rather amazing, end quote. <laughs> Second quote is, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Twain and LRH were the same being. Both were prolific writers. Both were very well traveled at a young age. Both achieved notoriety, end quote. So, I'm going I'm going to read a quote from each author and then I'm going to ask our wordsmith, our jongleur, if you will, Pan, if he can work out who said what. Ooh, uh, and nice. I'm excited I'm excited to see if he gets it right. Okay, quote <laughs> one. Are you ready for this, Pan? I'll it's gonna do be my quite best. an ask. Okay, my love. Quote one. It was one of those mornings in early spring when nature seems just stirring to a half-consciousness out of a long, exhausting lethargy. The past seems a storm-swept desolation, life a vanity and a burden, and the future but a way to death. So that was quote one. And here's quote two. The last Martian report station on Earth was established in the Pyrenees. 
It's a challenge, isn't it, Pan? This is so, a tough one. What do you think? Tough one. I think the heaviness of the first one is certainly Hubbardian. <laughs> but what's amazing about the guy is that he actually thought that he could get his acolytes to get him a Nobel Prize at some stage. <laughs> what a, an absolute chancer. Tony, you, of course, have a special connection with Mark Twain House in Hartford. Oh, yeah. Well, you? You know, yeah, you know, it was interesting when I, I remember that quote uh, when it came up and I don't remember who said it, but I, th I thought to myself, do they really not know? I mean, they must not know Mark Twain's history because Mark Twain, Sam Clemens was just brutal when it came to the cults of his era. Uh, I mean, he wrote an entire book about Mormonism and how, in his description, the Book of Mormon was chloroform in print, in a print form. And um, he also went after, what was the other one, Pan? That he, um, Christian science. Christian science, yes. Mark Twain had no patience for this kind of nonsense. He murdered them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it seems to be a, Mark Twain seems to be kind of a, I don't know, Scientologists seem to like to associate themselves with him. Because I remember Kirstie Alley um, tweeting out his some of his quotes, and I remember one particular tweet she had where she said she thought she and Mark Twain would have gotten along really well. These people must not understand the man. I mean... <laughs> He, he would have used her as an anchor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, Mark Twain had no patience for nonsense. None. Ah, incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. So the there is a person who works at the Mark Twain house who um, liked my book and invited me to stop there for, on my book tour and my friend Dan Perkins, the cartoonist of uh, who is Tom Tomorrow of This Modern World, at that time lived just around the corner. And so he and I went and they gave us this incredible tour, um, the sort of behind the scenes tour. And I, I got to, my, for me, the most amazing moment was when I got to go to Wayne's upstairs study that had his billiard table and his writing desk. And I got to stand there next to that desk where he wrote some of his best books. And I just, oh, what a moment. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I just, I have such a huge admiration for that author. And that place is just, if you get a chance, if you're ever in Connecticut, make a point to stop in Hartford and go through that house because it's really wonderful. Uh, you're going to have to make a pilgrimage to Elizabeth, New Jersey now, to the home of Dianetics. <laughs> if they'd let me in, Pan, if they'd let me in. Yeah, well. Sometimes it's worth showing up at those places they, if they don't recognize you. Depends on who who's on staff there. Well, you I, did get into the New York org, so. <laughs> briefly, that's well, true. I got into Orange I got into Orange County org. Put a little video as I was going in and asked asked a question I, you know um they didn't recognize me all right well all eyes are on the valley org next week for their big convention uh i also oh i meant to i gotta mention this at the bunker i found out that the austin org that we thought might open up this week they moved their permit back to may so it, it if if there's a new ideal organ opening it's probably going to be in may so for now, the Valley Org Convention is the big deal in the Scientology universe. We'll be keeping an eye on that. And of course, uh, the next week is Danny Master Trial. And so um, I hope uh, our group therapy folks all find that interesting. And the next time we'll be talking about that. All right. So oh, another, all right. another episode of Group Therapy. Thank you, gang. Thank you, Tony. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Tony.